Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Uh, it's a real privilege to be able to hang with you guys this week. Uh, so uh, if, I don't, if I don't say this now, I know I'll keep dropping the ball. Uh, just everybody in Kansas City sends their well wishes and their greetings, and, and you've got a lot of family in the Midwest that know about you, that love you, that are praying for you guys to be fruitful, to make disciples. And so, uh, just howdy from Missouri. And then, uh, and then uh, man, I, you know, I, with all my heart, if I could just give you this caveat before we get started this week. Uh, as we approach God's word, we're either going to just interact with information or we're going to hear from God. Uh, that's just how it works. The Bible is open and according to your faith, be it unto you. And so if, if our approach to the word of God is um, maybe I'm going to learn a few things tonight, I'm going to interact with some data, some information, uh, you'll do that. Uh, but how desperately we need to hear the Lord speak to our hearts. Amen? And so can we, just, can we just do that? Can we just take a short moment and just everybody grab a prayer partner, uh, maybe get somebody close and pray for them. Just ask the Lord to, to just speak to your prayer partner, whoever that is, uh, through his word. And then, you know, your prayer partner can do that. Now, if you've never prayed with somebody, uh, I mean, in churches like ours, right, in churches like these, there's plenty of people who will do all the praying for both of you, okay? So don't worry about it, okay? Uh, but can we do that? Let's pray for one another that we would hear God's word, that God would speak to us. And then after you pray for one another, pray for the preacher uh, that he wouldn't get in the way. Amen? All right, let's get to work. Everybody find a prayer partner. Just let's pray for one another, pray for the preacher, and then we'll get, get to work here. Father, tonight we just come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, we want to hear your word. We want your word to speak into our hearts and our lives. And so, Father, tonight from John 15, we just ask that, God, you would have your way with each and every one of us. Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that does not know that Christ is their Lord and Savior, that you're their Father, that their sins have been reconciled through the finished work of Christ at Calvary, God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And for every believer here tonight, that they know they're born again, they know they're saved. Lord, I pray that that tonight would be, uh, it would fall out to exhortation and edification, uh, correction, instruction, Lord, whatever is needed so that every member of our churches, every member is abiding in the vine, every member is growing in this relationship that we have with you through your word, uh, through the person, uh, the work, the word, the spirit, the ministry of Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to be fruitful. Lord, we have to be fruitful. Lord, it, 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 Father, it's your plan for us to be fruitful. And so, you know, just thinking about that, that, that uh, chart out in the lobby, there's a lot of ways that, that, that fruit could be manifest like that. And so, Lord, we're trusting you for it. God, would you help us? Lord, help me. Uh, you know, I'm a man of stumbling lips, and I just pray that you'd set the weakness of my flesh and just through the power of your word and your Holy Spirit, Lord, speak to us. Uh, we want to meet with you. We want to hear from you. Let your word rule over our hearts and lives tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so grab your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 15. And the question on the floor tonight is this. How does a local church ministry get full of faith and on fire for the gospel? In other words, how does it become fruitful, a soul-winning, disciple-making ministry? Well, I want to... The, the case that I want to make, it's, it happens as the life of Christ is manifest in and through us as his people. So let me give you a few phrases to frame this concept that we want to cover tonight in God's word. Maybe you've heard a few of these. Here's the first phrase. Uh, you will only reproduce what you are. Maybe you've heard that. Like in Genesis chapter 1, everything reproduces after it's kind. And so you've heard phrases like this, dead preachers, dead preaching produces what? 
dead churches, okay? Everything, right, reproduces after its kind. You will only reproduce what you are. Let me give you another phrase to frame the concept. You can only give what you have. I mean, if you don't have it, you can't give it. So if you're not the real deal, if you're not legit, how are you going to produce the life of Christ? How is it going to be manifest? So, you know, if dead preaching produces dead churches, what do dead churches produce? Dead members, just lifeless activity, and the list can go on all night. Let me give you another phrase to frame the concept. What is in you is all that will ever come out of you. You ever think about that? What's going to come out of my life? Well, whatever's in my life, that's all that ever could. I, again, if I don't have it, I can't give it. And so what I have, that's what's going to be manifest. What's in me is what's going to come out of me. Let me give you another phrase. You are what you eat. Hello, somebody. And if all you eat is junk food, you're going you're gonna to manifest a health life that follows what you eat. I don't know if I'm getting in trouble or not, but... There it is. You are what you eat. Let me give you another one. It takes one to know one. I know you are, but what am I? Okay, I'm getting off track. But you get what I'm talking about. So in John chapter 15, what I want us to see this week from this chapter, we'll actually look at two very key concepts. We'll see the first one tonight. But we need to see Jesus before we get into John 15 for who he is and for all that he is. You know, in John chapter 1, you see Jesus for who he is. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the living word made flesh. He is the lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. And then in John chapters 2 through chapter 12, you see Jesus for what he does. He's the seeking savior of the lost. He's the miracle worker. He's the healer, the supplier, the resurrector. The deliverer, the challenger, the rebuker. I mean, the list goes on. You see Jesus for what he does. But the question on the floor tonight is, do you know, do you see Jesus for who he is? Let me take you on a tour. You see all those verses listed in your notes? You look at that list and you think, we're going to be here all night. Contraire, mon frere. Just, let's... Let's go on a tour, okay? Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. Jesus is called Christ. In chapter 27 and verse 37, he is the king of the Jews. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 37, Jesus Christ is the son of God. Can you see him for who he is? In Romans chapter 10 and verse 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. Who is he? He is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Man, he's everything to us that's good, isn't he? That's who he is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Christ is our Passover. In chapter 12, verse 12, Christ is one with many members, and we get to be a part of that one body of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, we find out that Christ is in the believer. Christ is in you. Jesus Christ is in you. Chapter 13, verse 5. Verse 15, verse 20. Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Christ who is the image of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ is made our curse. He's been made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. The fact that Jesus is made, right? Being made, being made a curse for us. Cursed is everyone. That, the fact that he would do that for me blows my mind. Ephesians 5, 23, Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. That's who he is. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Christ. That is the key to saving faith. Chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. 
That's who he is. Revelation 5, or 1, verse 5, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. So I just wanted to look at all the verses that talk about who, what Jesus is. Don't even get me started. There's no way we'd cover everything that's in Jesus, everything that we have access to in the person of Jesus Christ. We'd be here all week, 24-7. We could add all the in him, and, 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 and we would not have the capacity to receive the blessing. So hello, somebody. Who is Jesus? He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords, and I hope you can see him as such. He is everything to the believer. Romans 9 verse 5 says, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God be blessed forever, amen. Is he over all? Well, he's over most things. Got a few things that I'm holding in reserve. Isn't that how the average Christian lives? Christ is Lord except for maybe this little area of my life, you know, but I'm running pretty well, you know. He is Lord over all. Philippians 2.11, Christ is Lord. Colossians 3.4, when Christ who is our life. Um, man, just the fact that, I mean, our existence is bound up in him, isn't it? He is our life. So for us to live is Christ, Philippians 1.21. Colossians 3.11, Christ is all in all. He's the all in all. So knowing Christ, right, growing in Christ, knowing him, that's everything, Whenever you come to, uh, you know, it's like any valuable relationship. Um, you've, you've probably heard of an illustration like this. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it'll fit. You get a new relationship. Do you remember when you were new in love, young in love? Do you remember that? Do you remember that? When that thing first started? And uh, I'm not talking about this week. I mean, new in love, when it first took off, it's all you could think about, right? You remember that? It's all you could think about. You're texting all the time. You're, <laughs> praise the Lord. You're thinking about what notes you need to be writing, what gifts you need to be buying, you know, how much is too much, you, you know, like you're gauging that thing all the time. You're obsessed about that new love. You're obsessed about that relationship. And and then in your conversations, you have, you know, people are talking, and, and lo and behold, what comes up? Obnoxiously, it's your new love, and that just gets worked into every conversation, and you can't, you never get tired of talking about the people in your life are sick to death of it, but you're not. You just keep talking about it, and you're enjoying that, and you know what I'm talking about, right? You find a, a, you find a couple, they got this new love, and they're talking about spending their life together, but but they don't seem like they're interested in one another. They don't make time for one another. Oh yeah, they're gonna spend the rest of their life together, but there's no, there's no attraction. There's no traction in the relationship. Uh, something is wrong, and, and so most people would say, hey, why don't you rethink, you know, maybe till death do you part with that person. Something is off in terms of the relationship. Uh, we got so many people who, who say, I'm born again, Christ is my all in all. Christ is my life, but we don't spend five minutes, we don't spend five seconds of our day thinking about him, wanting to hear from him, wanting to read his love letters over our life. Uh, something can be very dysfunctional. And so it's, it, you know, at the same time, uh, I, I think a lot of times what happens for, for Christians is they intellectually know about Jesus. They know about the gospel. They believe it. They even believe on it, but they never come to the place where they're growing in their relationship with the Lord. Have you tasted and seen that he is good? Uh, I don't know about you, but I've tasted and seen that no-baked cookies are good. And if a no-baked cookie has been manufactured, it's never just one. It's a whole plate full of them. And I have a problem where I can never just eat one. I eat the first one and I say, this is all I'm going to do because I've got goals and objectives that I'm trying to hang on to in my dietary life. And so I'm going to eat this one. And what I find is after I've tasted and I've seen that it's good, I find an excuse to go back to the no-bake cookie plate and I'm just going to have just one more. Do we, have we tasted and we've seen that he is good? Is he our love? 
is he the one? Is Christ our life? Is he our all in all? And, and, and now he's the one that we want to spend our time with. He is the one that we want to grow in knowing because he's wonderful. He's beautiful. He's absolutely the bomb. That's everything. Wanting him. And then if that's in you, others are going to see it. You're going to want him. You're going to want that same relationship that you have with him for others. So in John chapter 15, we got this passage on abiding in the vine, and it's key. And, and, and we're going to see later on this week, answered prayer is another real key concept that we need to see from John 15. But, but tonight, I just want us to, to focus on the first six verses. We'll just see a key to spiritual productivity. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Okay, so the first thing that I want us to do in, in looking at these six verses is let's look at the players in this picture, in this story. In verse 1, we see the first one. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. A husbandman is a gardener. So God the Father is the gardener. He's the gardener, okay? That's your first thanks in your notes. So why is God the husbandman? Why is he the gardener? Well, it's because the farmer calls the shots in the garden. He determines what fruit bearing he's going to trust to take place in his garden. It's his garden. So God is the gardener. And Jesus models this for us. You know, God the Father, he's calling the shots. And so Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 28, he said unto them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. He is the husbandman. He's the farmer. He is the one that's setting the agenda, and he's calling the shots. And so she, Jesus says, I'm down with that. So the farmer's goal, if he's going to have a garden, is what? It's absolutely fruit. He's not, his goal isn't just to sweat, sweat, sunburn. These are never the goals. They're worth enduring. The goal is always fruit. Farmer's always looking for fruit. Apparently, my goal is to grow weeds and food for deer in Kansas City. That's, I love okra. So do the deer. I get very little okra. A good Bambi is a dead Bambi. That's kind of where I'm at. So my garden, if I'm working a garden, it's always a catastrophe. But for every other farmer, the goal is fruit. That's what they're, that's what, fruit's what the husbandman prizes. You don't see pictures on Instagram of farmers posting weeds, right? It's always that end of the season cornucopia of the bounty, you know, at the end of the, at, at the, end of the season. So what we're going to see in this passage is that God is looking for fruit that will glorify him. That's his objective. Jesus here in verse 1, is the true vine. He is the vine. He's the true vine in this passage. Why? Well, because he is the source of life. In John chapter 1 and verse 9, he is the true light. In chapter 6, verse 32, he's the true bread. And bread and light are simply illustrating. These are just other pointers to the true light and life that is in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 1 John 5, verse 11, this is the record that God hath given unto us, or given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And so to have Jesus in your life is to have life itself. 
And that is the absolute biggest thing ever. He is the true vine. And so that would be the first question on the floor tonight. Do you know that you're connected to the vine? Do you know that Christ is your light? He is your bread. He is your true vine. He's your life. That brings us to verse 2. Are you connected? Every branch, watch the next word, in me. So here it's relationship with Christ. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So God's people are the branches. Uh, Verse 2 is always a quinky dink. I want to make sure that we keep our New Testament church age dispensational perspective Okay, so why does God take this branch away? Uh, Well, he says right here in verse 2, there's no fruit. So here's this connection. This branch is in the vine. It's not bearing fruit. Nothing's coming out of that relationship with Christ. Is there fruit? No. Okay, you need to know even in the age of grace, in the dispensation of grace, you've got, I mean, you've got a, a warning at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where God's taken people home because of severe dysfunction, right? There's a, you know, God, it's like, it's like me as a, any father has this right, okay? I mean, let me back up a minute. You don't have a right to take your kids out, okay? <laughs> but if I take my kids to the pool and I've worked with them, they know what good behavior at the pool looks like. We've had these conversations, and he can't quit. My, my kid can't quit running. It says right there on the thing, no fun. Right on the sign, you know, no running. He can't quit dunking. It says it right there on the sign. We've talked about this. And he can't quit. He can't, I, mean, he, I mean, he just can't quit being obnoxious. I'm going to warn him. I'm going to warn him again. I'm going to pull him aside. We're going to have some instruction. But if he can't get it, what am I going to do? I'm going to grab him by his ear, and I'm going to march him back to the car, and we're going to go home. What am I going to say? Out of the pool, you're miles. You don't get to represent the family that way, right? I reserve the right to take you home. Every father has, you know, God's not hung up over your beating heart. You get that, right? Uh, Your life is not sourced in your beating heart anyway. So he reserves the right to take his children home. Uh, I read 1 Corinthians 11, and that's like, Ooh, better straighten up, better sober, sober up. Uh, you know, the father reserves the right to deal with his family. The thing in verse 2 that I want us to see so critically is the key to fruit is abiding in Jesus. How do I abide in Jesus? You all know the answer to this. Okay, so don't miss this. God's people are the branches. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Skip down to verse 5. I am the uh, the vine, here it is again, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And again, the goal of the gardener is fruit. So how does the branch get into the vine in the first place? How has every branch you've ever seen get into a vine? It, It what? It grew there. That's how it happened right? It grew there. Okay, so notice what Jesus says about the disciples. He says, you're the branches, but here's the key, okay? Look at verse 3. Now you are clean. How? Man, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The living Word of God spoke into their hearts and their lives. They They received it. You are clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. So how did you get into Jesus? How did you get into, how did you grow into the true vine of Jesus Christ? How did we come to grow there? Well, you know that. Romans chapter 10 tells you there was a day where you called on the name of the Lord and you were saved. Well, how did that happen? Look at verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. And bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all, they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, 
and hearing by the word of God. You know, at some point, you heard the preaching of God's word. You heard the gospel. And because you believed the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection all over your sin problem, because you believed on the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you were cleansed through, the, I mean, you, you literally entered into saving faith. Okay, that changed everything. That became your attachment. That became your budding on the vine. This new life in Christ begins. You are, you are taken out of time and you're literally, literally through faith, plunged into the person of Christ. You're plunged into the eternal itself. Now, Romans 6 is true of you. You are crucified, present tense with Christ. You are buried with Christ. You are risen with Christ. I mean, everything changes. You're this, well, it's like 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, you're a new creature. You're a new bud, bud, right? You're a branch in the vine. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. At some point, you heard the word and you began to grow on the vine because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So the first thing that has to happen if you're going to be fruit bearing is you got to be saved, and, and then that's not the end of the story. It's not enough to be saved. First, you get saved, and then you live saved, right? You live like it. So here's the illustration. We see these branches, and these branches find themselves in one of three conditions. So there are three conditions in this text of these branches, and, and so I just ask, which one do we find ourselves in? The first is what we see in verse 4. The first condition is the branches abiding in Christ. Abide me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. It's like the passage on the body. You know, the foot can't say, I'm, I'm out of here. The hand can't say, I'm done. Uh, it's going to be tough to make it without the beating heart, you know. Uh, y- a branch can't live without the vine. So you have to abide in me. Verse 4. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Okay, so just as a branch on the vine cannot bear much fruit unless it's attached and living attached, everything you are, everything you do is dependent upon the person of Jesus for your ability to produce, to be spiritually productive, to bear much fruit. Just like you can't enter into eternal life in and of yourself, you can't have eternal life just because you want it, Jesus had to purchase it with his blood, right? You, had to, you, you could not enter into eternal life without Jesus, so also you cannot do anything of value as a Christian You cannot do anything of value. There cannot be any fruit. God will not receive any glory from your life except it's through this life we have in Christ. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Jesus is the all in all. He's the source. He is our life. He is our strength. He's our power for ministry. All of it has to come through him. We can't just get, I mean, we're not going to get away going through life just being a good person, doing our very best. To, to do all of the good things and the polite things and the wonderful things that Christians do, you can have a lot of activity and never produce anything of lasting spiritual value. God has to work in and through us as his people. There's no way around it. At some point, I have to recognize without the vine, I'm dead. <laughs> My works are dead. I can't give anyone eternal life. I can't mature anyone in their faith. I can't conform anyone to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't, everything that God calls me to do as a servant, I can't do any of it. And yet I can be this, I can just be this simple dude that says, okay, Lord, I can't do any of it, but I read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you said it pleases you to use the weak and foolish things of this world. So may I present myself exhibit A. And Lord, uh, on whatever level you'll have me, you can use me. I, I want you to take my life and use it for your glory. Otherwise, I will work my tail off wasting my life. And I don't want to do that. 
I don't want to do that. You only get so many trips around the sun. They're free, by the way. But you only get so many of them, and then you're done. Oh, God, if you can use anyone, you can use me. It's like your washing machine. Your washing machine cannot produce clean clothes until you plug it in. Hello, somebody. You have to plug that thing. If, if your washing machine is not plugged in and you're using it to clean clothes, you're doing it wrong. It has to be plugged into power. Nothing can run by itself. Nothing can produce on its own, but that's what so many Christians do. We're glad to be a branch on the vine, and it's good to be saved, but so many times our life do not bear God's fruit because we won't live how God made us to abide in the vine. We try to serve God in our own power. The Bible rebukes that. Zechariah 4, verse 6, look at the second half of the verse. It's not by might, it's nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. See, everybody wants a fruitful life for God. The problem is most people... And here's where it's, I think this is where it's subtle. This is where I think we, we, too many times we grieve the spirit, is we want to be the smartest kid, the sharpest of God's kid, the coolest of God's kids. In other words, yeah, I want to abide in the vine, but I also want to be awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's a Isaiah 14 mentality, y'all. Uh, to want just, you know, just a little of God's glory for myself. Like, it's a dangerous thing, isn't it? Uh, and we can end up being cool and being sharp and being awesome and end up losing out on so much fruit that could be produced because in humility, we're not dependent on Christ to work in and through us. Uh, when I was in the process of, you know, just God was separating me out and, and sending me out to start Midtown Baptist Temple, I had to go through a time where uh, I was hearing so many people talk in terms of the church and what the church needed to do to be successful in ministry. And, and I would hear pastors talk about how we needed to study Disney. And Disney does such a good job. Those kids demand that their parents bring them back there over and over and over again. And if our kids had as good a time at church as they did at Disney World. And, uh, and I'd, hear, I'd hear pastors make statements like, when we get our act together and we do things right, then God will bless us. And it's just, there was a time of reflection that I kind of had to go through where I had to decide, am I going to spend my life doing ministry, trying to be sharp, slick, and awesome, or am I going to just humble myself under the mighty hand of God and trust him to do what only he can do? Uh, am I going to trust the Lord for the work that I'm doing in ministry to genuinely be the miracle that brings glory to God? So where we started, how we got started, the way that we started, I had pastors telling me over and over and over again, look, you can't you can't, in the urban core of Kansas City, you're not going to build a ministry with a King James Bible and the philosophy of discipleship that you have. It's just not going to work. I had, I had people, pastors, tell me, uh, you, you, you can't do that. Uh, I had ministry leaders tell me, you're going to have to, I had one ministry leader tell me, and I think I've shared this before in, in some of these settings, uh, you're going to have to give away a lot of pizza and a lot of cigarettes, if you're going to reach people for Christ in the midst of like, cigarettes, what do you? Th <laughs> and again, we have bought a lot of pizza in Midtown. I, I, I won't lie. It's a big budget item, uh, pizza. Okay, so, but at the end of the day, I mean, you look at it and you say, okay, nothing ever, the, the guy who sold us the building said, nothing ever works here. Would have been good to know that before we signed, but, you know, okay. <laughs> in other words, it's not, nothing ever works. You can't do it leading people to Christ and making disciples with a King James Bible. It's just not going to work. Um, well, okay, except God work, it's all vain labor anyway. We'll build the house in vain. And so let's trust God to do what only he can do. I think what I want to do is I just want to draw nigh. I want to abide in the vine and trust the vine to bear fruit in and through me. Uh, we, in the early days, because nothing's ever going to work, we had 40 days of prayer and fasting where we just sought the Lord because nothing works at 40th and Walnut. 
um, except there's a miracle. There's no way our poor little inner city church is going to make it. And, and what was amazing about that time of prayer and fasting uh, is we saw people coming to Christ. And I, I looked at the numbers before our 40 days of prayer and fasting and after our 40 days of prayer and fasting. And our average attendance went up by 40 at the end of those 40 days. It was, it was kind of weird. It was almost like Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Uh, just interesting. How are we going to build God's kingdom? Paul straightens out the Galatians in this. In Galatians, uh, the, Galatians, the church, uh, yeah, Galatians 3, verses 1 and 3, he says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath ev- been evidently set forth, crucified among you, this only would I learn of you, receive you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit, you're now made perfect by the flesh? You know, if God's going to receive glory and fruit from our lives, then we've got to be focused on living and abiding in Christ. But for most of God's people, right, our, our toasters are smarter than we are. That toaster will not give you the breakfast that you want unless it's plugged in. Unless it's plugged in, it will not produce toast. You can push all the buttons you want. It won't even try. You say, okay, I want to be smart as my toaster. I want to abide. I want to be plugged into the power source. I want to live Christ. I want to keep the focus right. I want to live in such a way so as to produce fruit for God. How do I do it? Verse 3 is the key. You're made clean through the word, right? Now you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. And how you came to Christ is how you continue. That's how you abide in Christ. You have the eternal life of Jesus Christ through the word of Christ through the gospel of Christ. So we're not going to begin in the spirit and then try to perfect things through the things through the power of our flesh. In other words, we're we're not going to have this power of abiding in the vine who is the living word if we're going to do it separate from a life in his word. Your life in the word of Christ is everything, and I can't live without my Bible. I can't live without the word of God. And so this is why I need Bible study. This is why I need discipleship. I need to read my Bible with an agenda. I need something from the Lord today. And God's going to put somebody, somebody in my life today that's going to need this word from the Lord. And so, God, don't let me miss out on what the Spirit is saying today from your word. Prepare yourself with expectation that there's life in the vine and that he's going to use you to bring glory to the Father. And watch God blow your mind. What did I learn in God's word? How can I apply that truth to my life? What do I need to memorize here? How can I walk in fellowship with Christ here as I spend time with him in his word? See, knowing and seeing Jesus for who he is in his word, that fills you with life more abundantly. Where are the people that are growing and knowing the word of God? They're so excited about the relationship that they, what he's telling them in his word, they can't stop talking about him. I remember whenever I was just first getting a handle on my Bible, okay, I grew up in, in a Bible church. Uh, I remember telling Pastor Shelby, he came up to me and he said, Sam, he said, uh, we're, we're reorganizing our church's discipleship ministry and, and we've, got, we've come up with 16 lessons that we're going to take people through and, and I'd like you to get discipled. Uh, I'd, like you to, I'd like you to go through this and I'd like you to get this, this training. And I said, whoa, Pastor let me just stop you right there. I grew up in church. I already know all the Bible stories. I know all about Noah. That's how biblically ignorant I am. I told, hand to God, that's what I told Alan Shelby. <laughs> Save your breath. I already know all the Bible stories. I grew up on flannel graph. I, 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 I'm already there. And so then, uh, then a, a, just a few months later, he comes back to me and he starts, Shelby is so smooth, you know. He says, uh, he says, I know you know all the Bible stories. He said, but um, this is the material that we're going to use to make disciples, and, and one day you'll be making disciples, and, and you need to know how we do it. You're not going to be, as a member of this church, you're not going to make Bible you know, disciples with your own flannel graph stories. You're going you're to want to use our material, and so you need to know this, and, and would you go through that? And so in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, so this is like uh, Kung Fu. You know, uh, I'll, uh, you know, I can see myself training some disciple, and, and I could just kind of hold out my hand to the disciple, and I can say, when you can snatch, snatch the uh, pocket-sized New Testament from my hand, then you're ready to go out into the world, you know? So I'm like, 
I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. So, you know, I don't know if it was right or not, but, but it appealed to my pride. And this is one of the memories that I'll, I'll have for the rest of my life. It was yesterday. Uh, it was all I could number three. And I got home, and I got to the foot of my bed, and I just wept before the Lord. Like, I'm such a moron. I'm such an idiot. I see what these guys are doing. I recognize what your word is supposed to be in and over my life. Brothers and sisters, it was a game changer to have somebody walk me through the scriptures to be able to learn how to abide in the vine. Life changing. So what happens now? I can't get enough. I mean, I'm taking notes in every message. I'm studying my Bible. The word of God is blowing my mind. And then what happens? I can't shut up. I mean, like the word of God applies to everything. It's incredible. It's almost like it was written to show us how we're supposed to live our lives or something. And so, I mean, I'm in conversations and we're talking to people and just like every time I turn around, like, you know, I was just reading about that in the Bible the other day and blah, 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 you know, I'm going on and on like that guy who's got that new love and he can't shut up about it. Everything applies to his girlfriend or his, you know, for her, it's her boyfriend. And it's that, it's that love of God, the word of God, the things of God. You know, some of you, you've left your first love. Where are the people that are abiding in the vine, spending time with Jesus face to face in his word? I tell you, it gets you excited. The life of Christ, you can't contain it. It comes out of you. Where are the people who really love the, 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 the Lord? They're obsessed. They can't get enough of his word. John 15 verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Continue Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So it comes out of them in the power of God's Spirit, impacting the lives of, of those around them. What happens? As they plant the seed of God's Word into the hearts and lives of others, they bear fruit. So what about success another way? What are my options? Well, the second option here. Here's the second way the farmer deals with the branches. The fruitless branches are removed. Fruitlessness results in removal. And so, again, dispensationally, let's keep straight on this in the church age. Let's remember verse 2, right? Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. If a man abide not in me, verse 6, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Here's the bottom line, this is the point I want us to see tonight, is the farmer removes unproductive branches in order to allow the fruit-bearing branches to thrive. He doesn't want these fruitless branches hindering the production of the fruitful ones. So it's a practical issue of cleaning it up, uh, cleaning up these unfruitful branches. And what's the end result? Here's the picture I want you to see. It's just as if they were never there. It was like they were never there. I mean, they were attached to the vine, but, but now they're gone. It was like they were never there to begin with. There was no value. There was no fruit as a result of their attachment to the vine. Men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. And historically, that's what happened in the vineyards. They would burn those branches that were not bearing fruit. Now, church, don't make this about your salvation. Remember, In verse 2, these branches are in him. Keep your Pauline doctrine straight. Romans 2 Philemon, okay? But get this, okay? Here are branches that are not, uh, they grew there, but they're not abiding there. The life of the vine is hindered in their life, and they're cast forth as a branch. And these branches wither. In other words, the true, like the intrinsic nature The capacity, the true ability of the branch in and of itself is revealed. What is it? Death. There's nothing in us. They wither. And so they're gathered and disposed. So these are the visible works that come out of your intrinsic nature, your your intrinsic capacity. What is it? Man, apart from the vine, I can do nothing. Right? Fruitlessness. That's what I'm capable of producing. Without the vine, I can do nothing. And if I'm doing nothing... Brother, sister, if you're doing nothing, just double check. Are you attached to the vine in the first place? 
A lot of people intellectually will give assent to the gospel and they'll pray a prayer so that they can go to heaven, but it never makes it into their heart and life. They never come to a place where they recognize their desperate need of a savior. And if you are attached, well then, okay, are you living that way? Now he says, ye are the branches. He's talking to his disciples. Judas is already out of the picture in verse 13, in chapter 13. So for the believer, will it end up looking like you were attached to the vine? Because I'm telling you, the judgment seat of Christ is coming. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we find out that there is a fire that declares whether or not a person has built something of lasting value. The work is revealed. Every man's work is made manifest. It's tried for what sort it is. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide, he shall, uh, any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So my works in the flesh, your works in terms of your capacity and your ability, off the life of the vine, those works will be tried by fire. They'll be consumed, and it'll be like they never happened. They never took place. It was like there was never an attachment to the vine. God forbid it would be like, those, like the, the, the believer was never attached to produce fruit. You know, if a person doesn't have life in Christ, if they're not attached to the vine, what are they? Spiritually, they're dead. And it's a shame when people who are attached live like the lost. They live spirit, spiritually fruitless life. And you may be saying, I'm a good person. I love Jesus. Okay, but are you abiding in the vine? It reminds me of the complaint that Jesus makes. You know, people will say, Lord, Lord, we've prophesied your name, cast out devils, done wonderful works. And, and there will be a people at this judgment that Jesus says, depart from me. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Um, now, there, we're, we're, we're literally talking about their salvation. But, but in terms of my productive, my ability to bear fruit to God's glory... It should never be true of me as someone that Jesus bled out to purchase back from my sin and rebellion to live a life and get to the judgment seat of Christ and it be like I was never attached. I mean, I get I'm saved, yet so as by fire. But everything that my life is invested in is burned up. It's like I was, it, it looks like I was never attached to the vine. God forbid. And then there's a, we're out of time. Just let me give this to you very quickly. There's a third state that a branch can find itself in, and that's pruned, purged. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruits. So every believer, okay, this is all of us, y'all, every believer is going to have some areas in our life that are unproductive. They don't bear fruit the way they need to to the glory of God. And so what God does is he lets life happen to you, he starts working on you, and he begins to deal with those areas. And the idea is that that, 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 that pruning process, that hurt will cause us to dig deeper into the vine. God begins to work on us. He begins to deal with us. We need pruning. And so God will allow those hard times. He'll allow those things that we thought were good ideas to backfire. He'll do these things to make us dig into the vine. I mean, brother, sister, before we close, do you have the guts to pray to God? Oh God, you're the husbandman. Prune me. Prune my life. I want to be fruitful for you. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to us. I don't know what you've got going on in your life right now, but I know two things about it. God's allowing, God's allowing it in your life because you need it. And he's using it to prune you. He's using it to make you a better branch. And you will either dig into the vine because you need that life. I've learned, I've learned a long time ago, uh, it, and I had to learn this the hard way, I've learned that hard times aren't scary times. I don't like hard times, but I've learned these hard times are wonderful times of just learning to draw near, learning to abide in Christ in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a diff, in terms of a different aspect of my walk with him, uh, learning what it means to apply his word in a new way or at a new level. I've just learned 
that I need these hard times. Let the life that you have in Christ bear fruit. Now, tomorrow we're going to look at a second key to fruitfulness, and that's our prayer life. But tonight, I just ask that we'd examine our heart, and I'd ask the worship team to come and close us out. And uh, if, you'll, if you'll bow your head and close your eyes, if you'll do it, you can just kind of get insight into where your heart and your life is at right now. And so I just want to invite you to do that. If we just bow ourselves before the Lord, and, and I just want to pray for you, and uh, the worship team will, will lead us as we close. Father, Lord, you see all of us. We are your children. You're our Father. Uh, we're branches. Um, you're the husbandman. And um, Lord, I know that, that the, you know, whether it's the, the life that we're living or, or the expectations that are on our life, it can be at home or at work or wherever. Uh, what will happen is, is that God will get distracted. We're like little children, and, and we're so easily distracted. And, and, and what was yesterday, this intimate relationship with you and, and just wonderful times in your word, and then the, the, just seeing wonderful times for that, for that bearing fruit, in, not just in our life, but being able to invest in the lives of others. And then, and then life keeps happening, and before we know it, we're so busy and we're so exasperated, and, and we find ourselves so far from you. Uh, we can have a Mary focus yesterday and then a Martha attitude today. And, and God, I just want to ask that you would, you would work so work in our hearts that, Lord, some of us would recognize our need to rededicate our life to you. Others of us would, would recognize our need to reprioritize uh, how we're living our lives in Christ and to, to really spend the time abiding in your word. Uh, Lord, you know where each of us is. And so, God, I just ask that you would work as only you can. But, Lord, if there is anyone here tonight that does not know you, that does not know Christ is their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that tonight, uh, that today would be the day of salvation and, and that they would not leave this place or leave this time, but what they get, one of the, the, the leaders or whoever brought them, and they'd get it settled once and for all, that they know that they're born again, that they're that they're saved, that they have a relationship with you as Father because Christ is their Savior and Lord. And so, God, I thank you. I, I praise you for this time. Lord, would you bless my brothers and sisters to be fruitful and bring you much fruit that brings you great glory. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.